Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. What's this? Walmart raising wages? Well, it's happening. The new White House pick for the Department of Labor's Wage and Hour Division. And today on the show, we check in with the Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO and the Texas Building Trades. Welcome to the Thursday, January 26th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO nationally, will be our first guest, longtime supporter. And uh, Bill works the hill just about every day. And uh, he has seen a lot over the years, and he's seen a lot in the last couple of weeks, especially with the uncertainty in picking a House leader. Well, we have a House leader by the name of Kevin McCarthy. Wasn't easy. Took a lot of votes. We'll talk about that process and McCarthy's tenuous control on his caucus. What does that mean for workers, for organized labor? Labor is a dirty word now, especially in the House. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The House Republicans Committee on Education and the Workforce, headed by North Carolina Republican Representative Virginia Fox, changed the name of the committee because she doesn't like the word labor. It was the Committee on Education and Labor. Not anymore. She said labor implies that workers do not have a choice in who they work for or what conditions they work in. In the United States, we live in a free society, and workers have freedom to choose for whom they work. If an employer is unfair or unjust, workers have the freedom to find a different employer and seek recompense. Yet, the left uses the word labor to pit workers against employers. You know, I'd like to take her to uh, one of these non-union construction sites. And we're going to talk more about this. We referenced a, a company outside of Boston, the Feeney Brothers. And this is a mom-and-pop company, but about a dozen years ago, they were uh, bought out by a Wall Street hedge fund. Worker conditions there are horrible. In fact, one worker lost his arm, and uh, Labor's International is trying to organize so there's a lot of problems out there that Virginia is probably not aware of. Bill's going to talk about uh, the Infrastructure and Jobs Act, the debt ceiling. We've been hearing a whole lot about that in the last couple of weeks. What's that going to mean if we default on our debt? And many are saying we have to cut Social Security, either the funds or raise the retirement age. We'll talk about the CHIPS Act, the Inflation Reduction Act as well with uh, Bill Samuel. Tom Kennedy will be our second guest on the show today, and he is the executive director of the Texas Building Trades Council website, texasbuildingtrades.org. Tom is a proud member of the United Association of Plumber and Pipefitters. That would be Local 286 based in Austin. 
He's also an executive board member of the Austin Central Labor Councils and currently sits on the advisory board of the Texas Climate Jobs Project and co-chair of the Austin chapter of the Young Active Labor Leaders. And we'll talk about those climate jobs, which are part of the Inflation Reduction Act, making sure that we get project labor agreements on those projects. We're going to zero in on the uh, Texas legislature. They're currently in session. And the big topic is how to spend a $33 billion budgetary surplus. A lot of money in the bank. A lot of money. Now, where's that money going to go? Well, they could be using it to uh, increase teacher pay. Texas right now ranks in the bottom 50% of teachers' pay. A lot of state employees, the pay is so low. One out of every five have left their jobs in the last year. We're talking those in foster care, corrections officers, as well as legislative aides at the state capitol. In fact, there is a uh, program that um, the Texas AFL-CIO is advancing. It's called the Fair Shot Agenda, which would lift up and improve the lives of working families in Texas. Specific provisions of the agenda include increasing wages, expanding workplace benefits, providing a cost-of-living adjustment for retirees, improving funding for schools, which we just talked about, fully funding, state agencies and universities investing in apprenticeship programs. How about that? Increasing access to health care, fixing the state's unemployment system, fighting climate change while creating jobs, making schools and workplaces safer, safer and numerous others. Yeah, you know, with $33 billion, you can do a lot. But are they going to use it that way? There are some major projects happening in Texas, like uh, Tesla, Texas Instruments, Samsung, Global Tech, and the skilled trades, according to Atom, are going to have to ramp up their apprenticeship programs because the unions, the union contractors, I should say, have to compete with other states, like the state of Ohio and New Mexico, also building chip plants. In the state of Ohio, they're talking 7,000 jobs in the next couple of years, construction jobs for that Intel plant. So lots to talk about with our second guest, Tom Kennedy, right here on the show. Unions in the news, making news. This labor update brought to you by Boyd Watterson, asset management, offering fixed income, real estate, equity, investment options to clients nationwide. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Well, how about this? Walmart is raising wages. They announce this week that the company will begin investing in higher wages for associates they're not workers there they're associates which means raising its minimum pay from $12 to $14 per hour next month and increase that will now according to the company bring their average pay to more than $17.50 per hour but still minimum is 12 was 12 and it's going to 14 Walmart remains both the largest retailer in the world and the largest private employer in the United States. Although a pay increase for service workers is always a welcome development, the organization More Perfect Union observed that in light 
of the Walmart CEO's astronomical salary, the company's CEO-to-worker pay ratio, will remain monstrous. You know what it is? 1,029 to 1. (laughs) The average CEO-to-worker pay in America is around 300, 350 to 1. If you go back to, I want to say, maybe the 1960s or 70s, that used to be about 20 to 1, 25 to 1. You know, CEOs made maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, and they were happy with it. But now that Wall Street's in this game, you've got bonuses, severance pay, all kind of things, and you see CEOs making 10, 20 million dollars a year. And even when they screw up the company, they walk away with a couple hundred million. It's crazy. It's crazy. White House uh, revealed yesterday that President Biden has renominated Jessica Lumen, former labor lawyer and union official, to lead the U.S. Department of Labor's Wage and Hour Division. As Lumen's initial nomination was blocked by Republican senators in December and returned to the president earlier this month. The president nominated Lumen to serve as administrator of the Wage and Hour Division last July, the agency that enforces such notable workplace statutes like the Federal Labor Standards Act, family leave, various legislative protections afforded migrant workers following the Senate's rejection of Biden's first pick, David Weil. That was back in March of last year. So Lumen continues to lead the wage in our division as she awaits confirmation, currently serving as the agency's principal deputy administrator. Why they can't approve her is beyond me. Matt, we'll talk to Bill Samuel about that one. Amazon is being investigated by the federal government for potentially misleading investors about the company's safety record. The Manhattan U.S. Attorney's Office is seeking documents on the company's labor practices under a federal law regulating wrongdoing that impacts banks. At the same time, the company is also under investigation by the Labor Department for workplace safety violations. The Labor Department has already cited Amazon for not adequately reporting injuries at six of its warehouses. They've done several studies on this over the years, and uh, the uh, the violations and the accidents at Amazon warehouses are almost double that of any other warehouse. And a lot of that has to do with the uh, the push to get things done so fast. you got to hurry, 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 and you've got like a minute or two to go to the bathroom. Meanwhile, an Amazon warehouse worker named Daryl Richardson claims he was terminated over the weekend without any explanation. This is from the uh, Amazon facility in Bessemer, Alabama, the site of last year's very hotly contested rerun union election. Now, Daryl contends that his firing was, quote, definitely cause of union activities, end of quote. Now, according to Bloomberg Law, an Amazon representative insists that the Discharge was not related to Daryl Richardson's union organizing efforts, although very little information has yet been uncovered about his termination 
in light of the NLRB findings affirmed by federal judges that Amazon has repeatedly violated the labor law by dismissing union activists. So <laughs> I think we know the answer to that one. Let, let's, let's get done with that one. Anchors, reporters, and other on-air talent at KVEA-TV Telemundo 52. This would be in Los Angeles. They voted this week overwhelmingly to affiliate with my union. That would be SAG-AFTRA, Screen Actors Guild, American Federation TV Radio Artists. That uh, union all already represents Telemundo employees at the network studios in Chicago, New Jersey, and Washington, D.C. The new members of SAG-AFTRA will begin talks on a fair collective bargaining agreement in solidarity with workers at KNBC4, which is another station owned by Telemundo's parent company, NBC Universal, which itself is owned by Comcast. <laughs> A chain of command here. SAG-AFTRA continues to organize Spanish-language media and entertainment workers nationwide. That, according to their national executive director, Duncan Crabtree, Ireland. The resounding victory of 18 yes to one tells management that our newest members are serious about getting to work bargaining a new contract. The result exemplifies our union's dedication to ensuring all workers in media and entertainment, regardless of the language they report in or perform in, are guaranteed just wages and safe working conditions and, of course, a strong voice at the workplace. All right, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's liuna.org. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll-free at 1-800-443-3752. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. 
America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation, all connected to the AFL-CIO. Speaking of which, let's go to Washington right now. Join one of our longtime regulars, Bill Samuel, who is the Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO. For complete updates, aflcio.org. Bill Samuel, welcome back to America's Workforce. I know it's kind of late in January, but Happy New Year to you. And it was not an easy ride for Kevin McCarthy in the new year. It, it certainly wasn't, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. 15 ballots. To get, to, to get something that's you know supposed to happen almost automatically. I mean, I don't, I don't think any other speaker, well, not for a hundred years, has had to work so hard to get the support of his own conference uh, for for the top spot. Uh, it's not a good sign. I, you know, it's not clear he's really in charge. I think we're seeing that already. Their bills are being scheduled and then they're being pulled from the floor and not voted on because the votes aren't there. Um, this is going to be a very rocky period for him. And, you know, there's there's uh, betting in Republican circles all over Washington about how long he's going to last, maybe the end of the year, maybe not. Um, so that's it's not good for the country, you know, to not have a functioning House. On the other hand, given what his priorities are, it's probably a good thing for the labor movement that he's not he's not expected to be terribly effective. You know, the scary thing about this bill is the promises that he made, which were not fully knowledgeable about right Right, disclosed yeah 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 and what we're looking at here is a minority of people that are pretty much controlling the house they're pulling the strings on him and this is uh, what they call the freedom caucus formerly the tea party but they're far to the right and uh, they've got an agenda a wicked agenda when it comes to uh, to workers there's no doubt about that and and isn't it it's so it's true then if they can like Call a vote any day and say, "Kevin, you're out of here." Is is that the oh, that's case? right? No, I, he's he is uh, uh, he's on very thin ice. I, I can't imagine anything worse than being in debt to Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert. I'm sure your listeners are familiar with those names by now. Um, they're crackpots. I mean, they're not they're not serious legislators. Um, if you just look look at their histories on Facebook and you know all the other social media that they um, traffic in, and it's I, he has a four-vote uh, cushion. If he loses four votes and the Democrats stick together on the other side, which so far they've shown they're willing to do, uh, he loses control of the floor. Uh, and by the way, if uh, this guy George Santos in New York has to uh, leave, uh, they may end up with a three-vote margin if, it, if that seat flips. Um, and then there's, you know, right now there's, a, there's an injured Republican who's, I think, recuperating. Florida Republican. So that's, you know, their their margin is even more narrow. Now, that's, this can happen on the Democratic side, too, obviously. It's not just going to happen to Republicans. But the fact is, it is a he has a very, he basically has no margin for error. And I, I hate to say he's not the smartest politician in Washington. I mean, if you listen to him speak, he's a backslapper. People in his conference seem to like him, but they don't trust him and they don't fear him. And that's what, you know, that's what Speaker Pelosi had going for her. She was trusted. She was smart as a whip. And her and the members of her caucus were always a little bit afraid of her. 
So we'll, you know, we'll see it. Anything can happen already. You know, there's all this talk about a, you know, threat to the debt ceiling to use it to extract concessions from Democrats. Um, but that's going to take unity on on his side, and I'm not sure he has it. There, you know, there are there are a few responsible Republicans left in his conference. Just a few, though. Just a few. <laughs> Here's what scares me, scares you, and a lot of people. We have a lot of retirees out there, Bill. A lot of retirees collecting Social Security, collecting Medicare, and we're hearing about uh, perhaps slashing those programs maybe raising the retirement age, and it all has to do with this uh, debt ceiling. Can you explain what's going on? And, you know, there's a lot of people, I mean, I obviously they're saying, eh, well, the government's got to pay their bills. They can't continue to, you know, go into debt, more debt, and it's going to cost future generations. Well, can you explain that scenario on what's actually happening here? Yeah, I mean, I've been hearing that since the early 1980s when I got to Washington, that Social Security is growing broke, uh, broke. the deficit's too big, it's, you know, it's going to be a burden on our children. It's just not true. If the economy continues to grow, people pay their taxes. Now, we may need to, re, you know, re- repeal the Bush, uh, the uh, Trump tax, cre- uh, tax cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we probably need more revenue. Um, we're, at a, we're at a pretty low point in terms of what uh, major corporations uh, and the very wealthiest are paying in terms of taxes. Um, but no, these programs are not in jeopardy. Uh, they, they, will, they are there for, uh, for the long haul. Uh, these are accounting issues. Uh, but the debt ceiling is not. You've got to pay your bills. We've incurred these costs. The government can borrow up to a certain amount to pay these bills, and every so often they have to raise that amount. It's like raising your credit limit on your credit card. As long as you're making money, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, MasterCard is going to allow you to raise your credit limit. But if Congress says, no, you can't raise your credit limit, uh, then we can't pay our bills, and all of a sudden we're uh, headed into a deep recession, if not a depression, because the world will stop investing in dollars and our credit will be, you know, we'll, we'll go through the through the floor. So it's, it's a very serious problem. I, you know, you hear economists and, you know, people way smarter than me about this, uh, uh, behaving very nervously about the prospect of not raising the debt ceiling when it, uh, when it's due. And it's probably June, July. And just last night, I began to hear Republicans are saying, well, maybe we'll pass a temporary extension, give us more time to negotiate. So they kick the can down the road. There's some talk, maybe they'll have the debt ceiling, uh, vote right around the same time we have to fund the government. You know, that the government funding uh, uh, runs out September 30th, the end of the fiscal year. Put those two things together, and we could be in for a really wild ride next fall. So there's some right now, as we speak, that are almost willing to crash the economy to get their way. Is that what's going on right now? Yeah, they think they can kind of, you know, they think they're smart enough to figure out how to pay veterans benefits, Social Security uh, benefits, uh, but there's, you know, this is a, this would be a uh, a monster problem to try to solve. What about the Postal Service? What about the FBI? Uh, what about the Defense Department? Um, you know, there's the, the government's a big, complex uh, organization, and a lot of people depend on it. What about road projects? Are we going to stop yeah. them? What about unemployment insurance if we stop paying uh, construction workers working on uh, infrastructure. It's it can't be done. They've got to raise a debt ceiling. It's been done on a really almost automatic basis for for decades. Uh, but this crowd thinks they can use it to, as I said, to extract concessions from Democrats. 
and, and from what I understand of the, Demo- the Democrats' strategy is we are not negotiating over this. This is on mm-hmm. you. You're in the majority in the House. Raise the debt ceiling. The Senate will raise it. Will go along with that, of course. That's now with a, a Democratic majority. If you don't, the the, uh, the consequences are on you. You mentioned the Defense Department. Let, let's talk about that a little bit because I know some Republicans have come forward. And traditionally, you know, when it comes to defense, Republicans are usually behind that. They're saying, "No, you can't cut defense. You got to increase defense." So. <laughs> Uh, what's going to happen in that scenario here? I mean, well, you know, this is a, the Republican Party has changed a little bit. You've got a, a, a faction of the Republican Party now, you know, that doesn't want to help uh, arm Ukraine. Uh, they want to cut cut uh, those uh, expenses. Um, so I'm not. I, I, listen, I, I think by and large, the Republican Party still strong still stands for a strong defense, as the as as does the Democratic Party. They might go about it in different ways. Um, but I, I just make, I'm just trying to make the point that everybody's got something they don't want to see cut. Mm-hmm. And my guess is defense is one of them. But as I said, so is the Postal Service. Uh, so is unemployment insurance. So is Medicaid and education and health care. These are all things. Remember last time that there was a government shutdown? You may not recall this. I think it was in, was in uh, Obama was president. I think it was 2015, maybe. Maybe it was earlier than that. And the big story in the front page of the paper was the national parks were closing. Yeah. Because <laughs> the government shut down. And what was the thing that people noticed and were really angry about was you couldn't get into a national park. Yeah. So that's just an yeah. example of the, you know, the the, uh, the complications that arise when you when you stop paying your bills. Let's go back to Social Security, if you don't mind, because yeah. I saw a story that Joe Manchin is talking about raising the uh, the uh, the, f- the threshold when you pay right. into it. The cap. I mean, that's frankly, that's not a, a bad idea. You know, we, we the, the cap now is I don't know if it's one hundred and fifteen thousand, one hundred sixty thousand, I believe, for, for uh, under which you continue to pay Social Security taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and over which you don't, right? So you stop paying taxes on everything you make over that. Um, it, it's we think it ought to be raised. It, it means that you know people who are making a good salary aren't paying Social Security taxes above that amount, and there are a lot of rich people who make more than that. They ought to pay pay on those dollars as well. Um, so that's not, and that would that would uh, mean more money into the trust fund, and it would you know lengthen the period of solvency. That's not a bad idea. On the other hand, people talk about raising the retirement age when our life expectancy is actually going down. That's, that doesn't seem to make sense. That's a whole other problem that needs to be addressed. Why is our life expectancy going down? Part of it's COVID. Part of it's our broken health care system, diabetes, obesity. There's lots of reasons. And we don't have a great health care system compared to a lot of other countries. Um, but uh, And then there are some who just want to cut benefits. And that, that, of course, is a non-starter. And that's, frankly, I think a non-starter for most Republicans. You saw Donald Trump said, don't touch Social Security and Medicare. Don't reduce it by a penny. At least he gets the, you know, the danger to Republicans if they go after Social Security and Medicare. Yeah. Well, keep in mind, he's on Social Security, too, you know. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> All right. Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO, joining us on our live line. And later in the show, we're going to check in with Tom Kennedy. Tom serves on the Texas Building Trades Council as Executive Director. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. 
It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L I U N A. You're listening to America's Workforce, and this next segment brought to you by the North Coast Labor Federation. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity... Just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always like those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. Let's go back to Washington and rejoin Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO. I know you want to get into some, some of the policy in the first two years of the Biden administration and the fruits of those policies. But first, I got a question here why this has taken so long. Jessica Lumen who I'm, I know you know, former labor lawyer, union official. From what I've been reading, she's highly qualified to head the wage and hour division, but it's it's a problem. There's a process involved, and there's been a couple of times where we thought it was going to happen. It didn't happen. So my question to you, Bill, what's the story here? Why Why isn't she on that right now? Well, this is sort of a hangover from the last session of Congress where when Democrats you know, had a really didn't have a majority. It was a 50-50 split in the Senate, as you know. They could pass bills on the floor, but only if the vice president showed up to break the tie. In committees, the 50-50 split meant that you have to have extra votes to discharge uh, nominees, for example. So Jessica Lumen goes through the Senate Labor Committee. You have to have a floor vote to discharge her nomination, and you need the vice president to do that. Now, you know, there's a phone book worth of or a phone book length of nominees that have to be confirmed when a new president takes office. You know, all these agencies have political appointees that have to be confirmed. Sure. It, it, so if the Republicans don't cooperate, if 
if it's if it's fifty fifty on every vote, it takes you know that much longer to get one individual confirmed. And they and McConnell decided early on that he was going to move at a snail's pace. He was not going to cooperate. Very few nominees got through. Uh, on the basis of some kind of consensus where Republicans just wave them through. And wage and hour is a, you know, Republicans don't like the enforcement of our wage and hour laws. That's Jessica Lumen, who, by the way, is an act, she's in an acting position now, so she's kind of running the program, but she hasn't been confirmed, and that that entails some, um, you know, limitations on what what she can do. But the wage and hour division is not an agency Republicans like. You know, it enforces the minimum wage, overtime, class, you know, misclassification. And she's a she's an enforcement minded uh, uh, Democrat with a history of working in the labor movement. So they they used every parliamentary maneuver they could to slow it down. However, I will say it's now January. Democrats now have a clear majority in the Senate. The Labor Committee can act on any nomination in a matter, you know, in an hour, they just if everyone shows up, they have the votes, the nominations uh, approved and sent to the floor, and there they have 51 votes now. They don't need the vice president. So I think Jessica is going to make it through pretty quickly. Some nominees, by the way, some Democratic nominees who were held up, uh, have asked to have their names withdrawn. They're just angry and frankly tired of waiting. And, and there's an FLRA nomination, Federal Labor Relations Authority nominee, who we were counting on getting, uh, who who announced uh, a couple of weeks ago he didn't want he wanted his nomination withdrawn. He was just tired of the uh, you know the monkey business, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Fortunately for us, Jessica has not taken that uh, approach, and she's she will be confirmed. I hope by the end of the month, if not early February. Well, I'm hearing good things about her, so hopefully it will happen. And here's yeah, one to watch, too. Uh, Bernie Sanders, I guess, yeah. is going to chair the Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions, better known as the HELP Committee. Right. And he, he's going to delve into the railroad situation because he got ticked off in the last session about the, uh, about the, uh, the pay for sick, sick leave. leave. Particularly, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, he said that he wants to do that. I don't know that he can legislate because, of course, you need the House of Representatives to to go along. Um, he's talked about urging the president, or he has urged the president, to take some kind of executive action to provide sick leave, um, paid sick days to rail workers. Not clear that can, can be done you know, within the scope of the president's uh, powers, but I know it's being looked at very carefully. The president would like to do this. Um, we've urged... Uh, as you know, most folks have, uh, that every worker, real worker, nurse, teacher should have paid sick days. It just makes sense. Most of the industrial world has sick days for their workforce. We don't as a matter of law and uh, paid sick days. So I, the president would like to do it if he could. There's also a report that uh, Bernie Sanders is going to start hearings on Starbucks and uh, yes. the fight the fight over their unionization efforts in, in their stores. And he's thinking of bringing in the CEO, Howard Schultz, in for live testimony. Got a quote here. You'll love this. Bernie says, It is wrong that a major corporation like Starbucks, according to the NLRB, has broken the law numerous times in trying to prevent workers from forming unions. And I want to know more about it. Yeah. That should be an interesting hearing, huh? <laughs> it's very exciting. You know, whether or not Schultz will come, whether Sanders can force his uh, testimony, I don't really know how with the help committee rules in terms of uh, subpoenas. It's other committees we've been hearing about uh, with regard to, you know, the, the Trump administration. But, yeah, uh, Sanders is serious about this. Um, he's going to be a very aggressive chair of what we call the Senate Labor Committee. Its technical name is the Help Committee. 
Uh, we, we met with him about uh, two weeks ago. Uh, President Schuler met with him, and he said he, he is going to focus on workers organizing, the barriers, the obstacles, the law-breaking on behalf of uh, CEOs or that's uh, undertaken by CEOs. He has no problem calling Howard Schultz or Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or anybody else. Again, whether they come or not, we don't know, but uh, he's certainly prepared to embarrass them. And these yeah. these uh, fellows, mostly fellows, don't want to be embarrassed uh, as, as CEOs, although I'm, I'm not sure about Elon Musk. He may not, he may not mind, um, but I think Howard Schultz, you know, Howard Schultz considers himself a progressive. You may not remember that uh, he, he supported Hillary Clinton, and there was some. Uh, there are rumors that she might appoint him labor secretary if she uh-huh. won. Now yeah. I think she's. I think she's taken that back. Uh, but he doesn't want to be embarrassed by this uh, controversy. So here's the deal: in the Senate, you could say and use the word labor, but not in the House. In the House, right. it's it's no longer labor; it's workforce because oh, labor my gosh, yes. labor is uh, Marxist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so Virginia Fox, the uh, Rhodes Scholar, and I have air quotes, uh, who's the chair of the House Labor Committee, Education Labor Committee, has changed the name back to Education and Workforce. She doesn't like the word labor. She thinks it connotes labor unions, and those are Marxist or socialist or communist or something in her in her book. And so she's she's gotten rid of the she's eliminated the term labor from the committee. We will always call it the Education Labor Committee. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I don't know how you deal with this. I really don't. But well, you know, anyway. she's been chair before. She was chair the last time Republicans yeah. had control of the House. Not, not much got done. The good thing is she's not a particularly effective chair. She'll put out a lot of press releases. She'll make a lot of wild speeches, uh, and not much will happen. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of YouTube videos on her. you got to check that oh, out sure. sometime. If you, sure. if you really want to get sick to your stomach, that's what you want to <laughs> do. A uh, couple minutes left here. Obviously... Good things have happened in the first couple of years. Are we seeing the these policies come to light here, like bipartisan infrastructure, the CHIPS Act? I know they're building the plant in central Ohio. What, uh, what are you hearing right now? Yeah, so three major uh, jobs uh, bills passed last in the last uh, session uh, since President Biden took office. The, as you said, bipartisan infrastructure law, CHIPS and Science Act, which was going to uh, uh, restart our semiconductor industry, which, as you know, microchips uh, go into everything now, from cars to dishwashers to televisions, um, uh, and the uh, and the Inflation Reduction Act, which is most of most mostly focused on energy and climate. Uh, There's about three trillion dollars all told in these bills, including the American Rescue Plan, which I didn't mention. Um, And and hundreds of thousands, probably millions of good jobs will be created. Now, the good jobs part is something that it's it's a little bit – it's still an incomplete story. We have to make sure that there are standards for the spending of all these dollars, that they're tied to labor standards where employers, companies that get these uh, tax breaks or direct uh, grants – uh, make sure these jobs, make sure they give their workers uh, a free and fair chance to join a union. So, you know, each of those laws is different. Some are more ambiguous than others about whether there are labor conditions tied to those taxpayers' dollars that they're going to get. Uh, but we know what Biden, uh, we know what his vision is, and it is the same as ours. These should be good jobs with the right to join a union. Uh, and we're seeing some of that already in the, some of the EV, you know, electric vehicle uh, grants that are going out and, and tax credits uh, for battery for batteries for new plants um, and and your plant in Ohio I think has a already has a PLA 
and make mm-hmm. sure the construction is union. Uh, we need to make sure that the production workers are union too. And you know, in some of these industries, they're notoriously anti-union, like the like the semiconductor industry. There's only one unionized plant in the entire country. So we need to make sure when con- when companies line up for these federal dollars uh, that they say yes, our workers will have a, f- a free and fair chance to have a union. Maybe even they'll agree to uh, neutrality and card check. That's what we're after. So that's what we're going to be working on the next two years. Well, hopefully, uh, Bill, they'll follow the lead of Microsoft. I'm sure you uh, saw the story. Uh, they purchased a couple of video game companies, and uh, the the gamers wanted to unionize, and Microsoft is going to stay neutral on that so hopefully that's right they they, they they agreed with the communications workers that if the workers at uh, activision which is the gaming company that microsoft bought wanted to be union that they would not stand in the way they'd agree to a neutrality uh, uh, agreement and that's what they did that's all we want stay neutral all right we're going to leave it on that note bill samuel government affairs director of the afl-cio aflcio.org you take care and we'll talk to you in a month okay yep look forward to it Thomas Kennedy is the executive director of the Texas Building Trades Council. He's coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes LIUNA to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., U.S., Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to Austin, Texas right now. Joining us on line number two. Mr. Thomas Kennedy. Tom is the executive director of the Texas Building Trades Council, texasbuildingtrades.org is their website. Eight years as a union member, 
He's a proud member of the United Association of Plumbers and Pipefitters. That'd be local uh, 286 based in Austin. And he's got a handful of issues, especially dealing with the legislature there. They uh, just uh, started their session and they got a whole lot of money. And uh, Tom is one of many people in labor trying to Get some of that money over to workers. Hey, Tom, welcome back to the show. How are we doing today, brother? We're doing okay, man. Uh, we got big opportunities in front of us, and we are doing our best to uh, seize it, you know? Well, I was reading earlier about this $33 billion budgetary surplus. Uh, that's a lot of money, and I know there's some that say, well, we need to save it for a rainy day. But from what I'm gathering here, I'll tell you, teachers need some help, corrections officers, uh, foster care. I mean, talk to me about that part. Is that message getting through that we got to do a better job for workers in the state of Texas? Well, you know, nobody ever wants to work on a budget until we have a surplus, right? Uh, So, you know, the state of Texas was uh, – it's – it's – it's a blessing, but also it's it's really it's really hard to, to make sure that we make sure that uh, these go to you know the, the surplus that came from taxpayers goes back to the working class and the working people of Texas. Um, you know we're very early in the legislators pro- uh, legislative process. They just released the uh, the budget uh, and scheduled all of the meetings for that going forward. I believe they released it on Tuesday. Um, so, you know, we are presenting a united front uh, in making sure that this money actually goes to the people of Texas. I guess this is all part of uh, the fair shot agenda. I was reading earlier about the Texas mm-hmm. AFL-CIO, and they advanced this fair shot agenda to, as they put it, lift up and improve the lives of working families in Texas. And I'll tell you, there's a, there's a long way to go on this. And I understand that Texas has the highest rate of people without health care coverage? It's really unfortunate. You know, with um, we don't have the expanded Medicare provider uh, provisions because of the, you know, being that we have been uh, a Republican-controlled uh, House and Congress and and governorship for so long, um, we don't have all uh, the same Medicare prov- uh, provisions that other states do. We, we've denied them because of the implications that come with that. Um, and it's really tough, you know. Uh, luckily, all of the you know, if you're part if if you're part of a union, obviously you're going to have uh, healthcare coverage. Uh, that's that's our one of our biggest selling points. But, you know, we have low density uh, when it comes to uh, union uh, participation. You know, we, we, we just don't have – we have a lot of people, and we have um, not many of them covered. It's, re- it's, really, it's really disheartening. Tom, I see you sit on the advisory board of the Texas Climate Jobs Project. And, and if you don't mind, I'd like to talk about that a little bit because we're getting money from Washington and the Inflation Reduction Act dealing with that. But Texas, oh, talk to me about this. I mean, when you talk about Texas, you think of oil drilling, fossil fuels, natural gas and all that. Is that dynamic changing right now? Absolutely. I mean, we're also one of the number one providers of wind. Uh, you know, going from uh, West Texas and the Panhandle, we have a 
incredible amount of wind power generation. We're one of the top ten in solar uh, solar power generation, just because we you know it's sunny down here, it's hot down here in Texas, and uh, and we've got a lot of land. Um, it's it's we are innovating the grid. I mean, I, I think you remember. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had some grid problems during a very cold winter storm. Um, so that is on the front of mind of a lot of the elected officials and also everyone that was affected in that storm. Um, but the problem is, is that, again, you know, we do have wind power and we do have solar generation. But those jobs and those people that are that are, that are building those those the new technology and energy, they're not receiving the pay and benefits that they reserve, they really deserve. Um, it's not, I mean, it's once the solar farm is built, the upkeep on something like that is minimal. So we're, we need to invest and we need to make sure that the people that are building these, these, uh, solar panels and these wind farms and these geothermal, uh, collection agents, and all of these, the hydrogen plants, we need to make sure, we need to fight to make sure that those people in those new jobs that are being created are getting a good paycheck, getting a retirement, getting health care provi- uh, provisions. Um, because it's, it's tough. We need to save our planet, but at the cost of working people. I know the Biden administration made in what I believe an executive order on project labor agreements for those big projects uh, is, is that that they have to do that in Texas. They can't say, no, we're not going to go that route. I mean, that isn't that pretty much a mandate then? It's a mandate. If it, if a certain amount of the, the money comes from the BIL or from the, uh, from the, if it comes from the federal government. Um, so yeah, it, it product labor agreements in Texas, um, are almost illegal, which is really sad. Um, we're not allowed to participate in a project labor agreement at the state level. The state is not allowed to to, to embark in a project labor agreement um, per statute that we lost a couple of years ago. Now, of course, we can still have it with private investors, and we can still have it with any anyone outside of that. Um, but with the provision, it, it, it reintroduces this language and gets people more accustomed to the idea of providing a service, providing to make sure that this project is being paid for by your tax dollars. And we want to make sure it's done correctly, it's done on time, it's done safely, and you get the most bang for your buck. And that's what yeah. the project labor agreement's all about. And that's why so many private investors go that route, because they know it's going to get done right the first time. So let's talk about some of the big projects coming to Texas. I know Tesla, Texas Instruments, Samsung. I mean, I believe you got a chips plant there. Um, how are the trades ramping up for this? I mean, there's a lot, a lot of work on the horizon here. Are you, are you ready for it, Tom? Oh, we're, we're getting ready for it. But, I mean, you know, it, it takes five years to make an electrician or a plumber. It takes four years to make a to make a sheet metal journeyman. Uh, our apprenticeship model is not going to save us in this. We are behind on that. But all of these projects that are coming out, especially with the Chips Act, with the infrastructure bill, um, you know, Texas is a great place for industry to come to. 
Um, and we're having to, we're trying to ramp up for these projects. TI is going to be building, I believe, five semiconducting plants in Sherman, Texas, about halfway between Dallas and Oklahoma. Um, and they're going to build one right after the other, right after the other, right after the other. Um, Samsung out in Taylor, Texas, which is northeast of, uh, of Austin, they're going to be building one of the largest semiconducting plants uh, in, in the U.S., um, we've got, we've got mega, mega projects coming to this area, which are going to need thousands and thousands of trained, skilled workers. So Tom, with that being said, what are we doing for outreach? And especially in some of the underserved communities, I know national building trades is making a push to try to find those areas. And we call it the pathway to the middle class where mm-hmm. you can get people that, you know, d- that, that are probably in dead end jobs, or maybe they're in uh, poverty-stricken areas, and they can find a way. Get into that program. Get into that trade, something that nobody can take away from you, and have a career that's going to have a good wage and great pensions. What, what are we doing with that right now? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that. we are the best-kept secret uh, in, in high schools, and we're fixing that right now. Well, you know, we have to make sure that we're talking to the underserved and the under uh, uh, the the underprivileged and the underserved communities, and with our JATCs, um, with that, you know, we have to make sure because when you bring somebody into the building trades, when you bring somebody into apprenticeship, you don't only take care of that person; you take care of the next generation. You drag two generations into the middle class every time you bring somebody and they successfully complete the apprenticeship. Um, and it's great. The apprenticeship in itself is just an amazing model that we have to make sure that we talk about, because like you said, in these areas, some of these, some of these communities, they don't think that they're, they can go to college. Uh, that's just not an option for them. And we provide a education at little to no cost to them. We provide them a job. We provide them a pathway to the middle class, just like you said, Thomas Kennedy. Executive Director of the Texas Building Trades Council. Got a lot on his plate, and you can find more at texasbuildingtrades.org. You uh, hang in there, my brother. You got a lot of work on your uh, on your agenda. <laughs> let's uh, let's check in down the road. I know you're doing a lot, especially with uh, young people, to get involved in the trade. So let's let's stay on this subject and stay safe, okay, brother? Absolutely, brother. Thank you so much for having me on. It was it was a pleasure. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, we'll check in with the steelworkers and the Cincinnati building trades. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.